Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Michael, have you got a minute? Michael, please don't save the car. There's a new Monegasque sheriff in town, and his name is Charles Leclerc. Fun, chaotic, and the battle lines have been drawn. A race where a merc did battle with a hass. Who'd have guessed? It's lights out and away we go. Perez does get away well. Comes over to cover off Leclerc. Carlos Sainz is forced to the outside. Max Verstappen getting keen on the inside. And box to overtake. Box to overtake. They say they love this sort of scrap. Well, let's see who comes out on top. Verstappen's got DRS. He's going to try and go around the outside of Charles Leclerc. He does. Max Verstappen takes the lead of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Now, Charles Leclerc is going to have DRS to try and fight it back. Do you remember when Verstappen did this twice in Bahrain and it didn't pay off? It might be a third time that Charles Leclerc has proven hanging back is better. But they're almost going wheel to wheel. Verstappen moves across and uh, Charles Leclerc goes deep but holds on to the lead of this race and now you don't need patience because they're going to be racing to the chequered flag here and it's not like Verstappen can come back this is Leclerc. if Leclerc can't get this move done or can get this move done out of the final corner Max Verstappen emerges in front such a close battle once again and this time around it's Max Verstappen that wins out he takes victory in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix Hello, I'm Shannon Mabry, your host of the Race Directors podcast, and I'm joined by the soon-to-be blue-flagged backmarkers, F1 journalist Ed Spencer and mysterious F1 Twitter menace, unpaid intern. (laughs) So why this podcast? We've been talking about F1, talking wheel, as intern would call it, for the past year or so, and we thought it was probably time to take our musings and wafflings public. This is not your dad's F1 podcast. Obviously, we are all millennials, Gen Zs. So, gents, after that race, are we excited about the new season and what are we looking forward to? Ed, let's hear your thoughts. There was initial scepticism on my part for what the new race could do. I'm very happy with what I've seen so far. The first two races have been rather good. And the Jeddah was a good race, even if circumstances away from the track did take a bit of a shine of what was a pretty decent race between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. It's also good to see that the field has been shaken up 
Arsenal now up there. Alpine are not going to be just flashing the pans. Mercedes are sort of struggling at the moment. Depends on what side of the garage you believe. Alfa Romeo there or thereabouts. You know, it's, it's a good time to be an F1 fan. Mm. Well, I, I thought it was great. Uh, I, I can visibly see how much better the racing is with these new cars. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but the improvement is definitely there. There's a lot of back and forth. I don't think we live in a world anymore where you just pass somebody and it's completely over. I think the the cars that we have now promote more battles, longer battles rather, instead of just someone passing someone and moving forward. Jedha was great. It was kind of at the beginning, but near the end, it kind of turned up. Definitely Bahrain was amazing with Verstappen and Leclerc battling it out. They've given us a great show so far. Hopefully, we can probably get some other teams up there. Maybe a maybe a Mert, maybe a McLaren, maybe even a Haas. Who knows? But as of right now, man, I, I'm I'm very pleased with what I'm seeing. I agree, and I think the fact that we've had two races so far this season, and both of them have been very exciting to watch and very close, I think bodes well for the rest of the season. Definitely, I think we're in for an exciting 2022. So let's kind of dive in. Let's get into the nitty gritty of it. What are our thoughts on the race itself? What did we learn from this week's race? In turn, you kick off. Reliability is one thing. And I'm not going to talk about the race first. I mean, reliability specifically. I feel like that's going to be a very, very big factor into this season because we saw most of the race in Bahrain was pretty straightforward. And then we had like three retirements back to back in like the last 10 laps or something. And then we see here in Jeddah, we are... Pretty much in the middle of the race, and three guys just drop out one after the other after the other. It was, it was Alonso, then it was Bottas, then it was Ricardo. So obviously these new cars still aren't perfect. So there's still gonna be reliability issues. But as it regards Jeddah itself, the race was a lot better than last year. I mean, last year was kind of fugazi, but this one was more more fixed. It wasn't really all over the place like no, nothing was nothing crazy was taking place probably because it's round two and there's no championship pressure on anybody but the racing was good i mean we had a couple scary incidents still questioning like the safety of the track we saw what happened with mick in qualifying do you think we should come back next year in turn would you like to see us race again at this track well, i did say on twitter that i really don't see anything wrong with this track and that it should stay on the calendar i was talking about the esports calendar I don't know about the real calendar, man. Like the, <laughs> the, the this track, it's good when it's good, but when you make a mistake and you see like the the actual danger of it, it's like uh, you know something. Maybe maybe this place isn't really the best place to be. It should be something the drivers decide on, not us fans. So if they're fine with it, then sure, why not? Um, from what we learned from Jedi, I would say that Mercedes are not really in the fight at the moment. I think they do have the third fastest car and third fastest power unit, considering that you know Lewis got knocked out in Q two and George was really tailed off uh, from the top four of, you know, the two Ferraris and the two Red Bulls. So I think we've learnt that the Merc cars powered cars are not the quickest at the moment. McLaren, although Norris got seventh, you could argue that he got P- he really had only the really should have got P nine because of the fact that Valtteri retired late on and Alonso retired late on when they were both in the points. Well, Valtteri was running around the points. So I think Mercedes-powered cars are going to be in a little bit bothered before we get back to Europe. Although I, I expect them to be improved. This, you know, Mercedes you know, aren't 
new to this game. It's not their first rodeo, but I think we've also learned that the Red Bull power unit, although it's, it's very good, it is a little bit unreliable because Sonoda had two failures in qualifying and in the race, particularly on the way around to the grid. So that will be a, a concern for, for Helmut Marco. I would agree with hearing these cars are slightly unreliable, although they're not as horrifically bad as the 2014-15 cars, which were not only ugly, but also incredibly slow and also unreliable. So that's a positive. But there is some things that you can take away from the race thinking, yeah, okay, the sport's definitely improved. And as for the question regarding Jeddah, I think it is a little too fast for Formula 1 cars. I think the drivers should make their decision, final decision when we go back there in 2023, even though F1 has said openly, we are going, we're going back, no worries. But I think the trouble is with this circuit is, you know, we've seen these concrete barriers and they've generated a horrific result from Schumacher, who was very lucky to get out of that car and escape. So I think Formula 1 needs to have more of a consideration whether to bring the safer barrier in from IndyCar and NASCAR to prevent big shunts like this happening again. And also one more thing uh, we've learned is that the Alpine rivalry might be getting a little bit feisty, particularly with Ocon and Alonso duking out for several laps and it seemed that, you know, we could be in for an interesting fight to see against the, the old Matador versus the young up-and-coming kid who is wanting to save his seat being up the ground. Well, I think to what you said about the barriers, that's a really good point because obviously that crash that we saw from Mick was quite scary. And I think probably we all had some flashbacks to some rather scary moments that we've had even just over the last couple of years in Formula One and in lower formulas as well. As to how much the drivers kind of have a say in things, I do wonder, because I think we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention that, you know, there was those very, very late meetings on the Friday night going well into the early hours of Friday morning as to whether qualifying and racing would even happen um, after the the missile incident nearby. Obviously, we've heard rumours that all of the drivers were against it. We've heard rumours that some of the drivers were against it. Regardless, in the end, however many drivers did or didn't want to race, we did end up going ahead. So I guess the question to be asked is how much power do the drivers really have at the moment? And if they were to turn around to you know, our F1 overlords and say, well, we don't really feel safe at this track anymore, do we think they'd be listened to? And do we think that their points would be taken into accord and, and acted upon? Or do we think that it would just go ahead because a contract's been signed? You know, at the moment, they don't have much power, but now we've heard that the drivers are wanting meetings with F1 over what had happened in Jeddah and trying to sort a solution out for next time. I think they, the drivers should say, after all, they're risking their lives to do laps around this circuit. As far as they bearing in mind, you know, back in the 70s, the drivers had a lot less power, and yet they still managed to get circuits such as the Nordschleife chopped off the full on calendar because it was too dangerous and the track owners would do nothing about it in terms of getting those improvements that they desired. So I think we need to return back to the old days when the drivers could say to the team, we are not doing this, we are not racing here, we are not risking our lives. Because at the end of the day, if someone does get seriously hurt, then it's a big problem for the sport. It's a big problem for the sport's image. It's a big problem for the sport's reputation. And the GPDA is there to say to you know the F1 Supremo, we don't want to do this. We don't want to particularly do this. We have agreed. We have discretions over that. And I think we need to see more united front in that the drivers need to speak their minds yeah I, I don't know i feel like it they they do have power obviously because they are the main attractions aren't we don't come here to watch team principals sit in the garage and talk to each other we we come here to watch these guys race so if if they band together it wouldn't even be the first time we've seen back in the day as ed mentioned earlier that protests 
have happened before where drivers were not okay with things and they're like, all right, listen, we're, we're, we are standing against this. Do something about it. And it's been a, it's been a while since we've had something like this, you know, that's, that's kind of caused drivers to potentially have to resort to methods like this. But at the same time, man, it's, it's, it's up to them. It's up to them. Like they can't be heard if they don't speak. If they don't voice their displeasure, nobody's going to know that it lies there. So when you have guys like Hamilton, Vettel, Alonso, experienced guys in there that can that, that know who to talk to, know how to, to round people up, probably been in situations like this before given their experience, I feel like the older drivers on the grid will, and even the younger drivers, because George Russell is the president of the GPDA, right? So I, I think the drivers that we have on this grid are are well enough in the head to know what to do in situations like this if they really think something needs to change. Did everyone see the tweet saying that if Seb Vettel had been there at the weekend, that oh, everyone would have been in bed I, by midnight and the race that, wouldn't have happened? That's that's Twitter back on their activism Olympics type stuff. Is that bro? This ain't no popularity contest, bro. These guys are worried about their livelihoods. Amen. To be fair, Amen. I think Seb's would have probably been a little bit more pushy, but I don't think he would have dragged them all kicking and screaming like a pack of pack of sheep to the airport. I think I mean, it, it would, would have, have definitely helped if he was there. Probably was in some way. I mean, he's still a driver on this grid, so obviously whatever happened would have affected him in some way. But like, I don't, I don't really see the need to put all this responsibility on one person. They're all one united voice. It doesn't really matter, you know, who says what, you know. Let's talk predictions for the season. Who do we think at this point, obviously we're only two races in, but that's never stopped us making predictions before. Who do we think will be the champion, the win the Constructors title, and who do we think is going to be taking the 2022 wooden spoon? In turn, do you want to kick off? Well, again, Verstappen is still my favourite for the championship because I genuinely believe he's just the best driver in Formula 1. I feel as though the only thing that's going to stop him is either himself or his car. I feel like I, I really don't see anybody, someone that can stop Verstappen. I feel like Verstappen's the only person that can stop Verstappen. So whether he goes back into his crazy streak of near the end of last year where he was just doing all kinds of war crimes on the track... Or whether his car starts giving out on him and he ends up becoming the second coming of 2005 Kimi. I feel like anything that stops Verstappen from winning this title is going to be purely him. And that's no, that's no knock on Leclerc. Leclerc's definitely proven these last two races that he's no pushover. That he, he can read Verstappen like a book. But just being, just being able to do that isn't enough. Like that's not going to keep him behind. You, you may know what he's going to do, but maybe you also know he's going to pass you. You get what I'm saying? But yeah, man, Verstappen to me is still like the, the top guy in F1 right now. Obviously, Hamilton's also one of the top guys, but the problem is like the car's just not there for him at all. And that 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 doesn't mean that it's not going to be there eventually, but it, it is a long season, so Merck's can turn it around. But I feel like the issues that Merck have right now aren't issues that can just be fixed in the snap of a finger. It's gonna take a good while to, to mitigate everything. So it depends on when. They mitigate everything, and, and by the time they do, how much of a loss would they have to the top two teams? They were they're pretty lucky in Bahrain with the double Red Bull DNF, but you know you're gonna need more of that if you're still building to get back to the top. If you're gonna stay within the threshold of the points lead, so at the moment 
it looks like it's gonna be a Verstappen double for me. I think Red Bull might even win the Constructors Championship because Sergio Perez, I don't know where this pace has come from. In both quali and the race, he's he's definitely stepped up his game. And that's no knock on Sainz. Sainz has been there too. But Checo could have literally won Jeddah if, if things had went differently. And he would have gotten a podium in Bahrain if things had went differently. So he's definitely there more now than he was last year. So I think if you put those two together, it might be a Red Bull double this year. By the way, could you remind me what the wooden spoon means? Is that like who's going to be like the biggest disappointment or something? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, this might be a bit of a old school Britishism. But yeah, the wooden spoon is essentially the uh, the loser's prize. So who, in your opinion, is going to be the 2022 version of 2021 Haas, essentially? Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, it looks like it's going to be Williams right now. I mean, I feel like this is going to be one of those seasons where everyone scores a point i feel like each there's no car on the grid that looks completely in another league like the 2021 has that just had no chance of making q2 these cars look like all of them can score like on their best day but at the moment aston and williams do not look that good i'd probably give the wooden spoon to aston because it just looks worse that they're in the back i mean williams were kind of already in the back but y'all were kind of in the midfield especially like 2020 and then you go to 2021 you're a bit worse and now we're in these new regs and you're even worse than before that's not a good look especially not when you have a guy like seb in the car who's a four-time champion it's Alonso 2015 all over again if they don't fix up and I, I can't have that so Aston look like they might be the wooden spoon this season I hope they aren't but that's how it looks especially after all that money they've spent on a new factory a new wind tunnel it, it seems a shame to a get out on track sim. and be this bad they made a new sim for Seb like to, to keep at his home too so they, they've spent the money well, let's see how Seb is when he's back from his little COVID break. We hope he feels better soon. Ed Spencer, your champion prediction, best team on the grid, and of course, a wooden spoon, sir. Well, I said in December, early January, that I thought the clerk would be world champion, and I'm sticking with it. I think Charles has got a lot of potential, this car. I think the Ferrari at the moment is the best car on the grid, and it's got the best engine too. And if he can really maximise this, he could easily win the world championship but of course he has Verstappen up his gearbox a chunk of the time and also Perez is looking extremely strong as intern said he's really upped his game and you know I think the game that first pole in Formula 1 after 215 attempts was a real lift off his shoulders but I think the clerk would just have it because I think that with the Ferrari only getting better race by race I think they're going to be strong and I think he will just hold off Verstappen Ferrari, I think, will get constructors, although science will need to start winning the odd race there and then, particularly with the fact that Verstappen is still there, thereabouts. And as for the wooden spoon, I'm going to say Aston Martin too. I've been extremely surprised about how sluggish the start has been for them, considering that I had them sick after the second test. They'll be going on worst F1 takes on Twitter very soon. Um, I feel... There's not a happy atmosphere at that team. I will say I've heard a lot of rumours that the morale is low, the car isn't particularly amazing. The fact that there's even insane rumours that Vettel decided, you know what, I don't want to do Jenna. So I think Aston are going to be, because of because of this car or because of some other stuff going on, struggling there, thereabouts. I think Williams are going to be there too. I think maybe even, sorry, say Shannon McLaren as well, if 
things don't improve and they don't overcome that break issue. So that, so, but I would have to say Aston Martin would just get the wounds through. I have to say you've really wounded me there, Ed. As a, a certified papaya princess and McLaren fan, that, that did hurt my feelings. But I can be objective. I see where Sorry. you're coming from. I think personally for me, we might have a unanimous decision on the wooden spoon front because for me, it's also Aston Martin. We kind of expect Williams to be towards the bottom of the grid, but Aston Martin, after all that investment, after all those big promises, I'm quite surprised to see them doing as poorly as they are. As for who's going to be the champion, to be honest, I have a feeling it's going to be young young Charles Leclerc. I did say there's a new Monegasque sheriff in town, and I did mean it. Uh, I think he's been giving us a masterclass in driving. He's been doing spectacularly these last two races. However, I could be proven wrong. It could be that, you know, this performance tails off a bit or Max Verstappen finds his feet and he finds his way to a second championship. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ferrari winning a Constructors title, to be honest. Now, we know what we think about last week's race. We're going to Australia next. What should we be looking out for in the next race? Intern, what do you think? I'll tell you, you should be looking out for. You need to be looking out for Kevin Gortnerson. You hear me? All right, let me tell you all something. All right, Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> Kevin Magnussen in his last two Australian Grand Prix put down some of the best racing he'd ever done in his whole life, right? And now look what he's doing. Came out here last minute benefiting from this goated ass. Yeah, let me tell you all something, man. A podium might be in the works. We out here battling with Hamilton and winning too, right? Kevin Magnussen is the one to watch. This is one of his tracks, and they've made they've made improvements to it. So you mean overtaking might even be even better now than it was back then with these cars? Listen, man, it's happening. I'm putting two A's in that happening word to has. It's going to happen, man. This guy is is continuously my favorite driver on the grid. I swear on my life. This guy just just never lets me down, man. Fifth in Bahrain. Ninth in Jenna with Jenna with little to no practice to his name. There's nothing he can't do. There's literally nothing he can't do. And Australia, once he touches back in Melbourne, the same place he scored a podium on debut. Listen, man, it's gonna be scary. It's gonna be scary for you fans of everyone else, man. I'd hate to not be a Magnussen fan going into this weekend unless reliability kicks in or he just has some weird bozo moment out of nowhere. Magnussen will eat all of your drivers alive. I'm afraid. I'm sorry you had to hear it from me, but I'm I'm warning y'all, man. It's not gonna be fun. That's all I have to say. Facts, facts. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Twitter menace that is Unpaid Intern, he is the biggest Kevin Magnuson fan on the planet. So somehow this really doesn't surprise me from you, Intern, at all. Ed, what are you looking out for in the next race? I'm looking out for tired journalists at home who will be looking for the nearest coffee machine. I'll be looking for a sea of papaya to welcome home Daniel Ricciardo after two years away. It will feel like the Ricardo Ricardo Ozzy have turned up in spades to Melbourne. Whether they'll get a good result, though, however, remains to be a question. I'm not sure they will. Uh, sorry, Shannon, I have. Um, but I'm, I'm looking out for Magnussen as well. I'm also looking out for a certain Esteban Ocon to get another podium after just under a year after his win in Hungary. I think he is looking even more feisty than ever. And it's really good to see this young street fighter who has been knocked down, got back up again, knocked down, come back up again. 
really fight with the big boys, even if some fans of another particular driver don't particularly like it. I won't mention any names. It, I will be watching out for Ocon to be fighting my hit, but it's my intern's friend, K-Mag, for a podium. And I would also say, watch out for Valtteri Bottas. He is looking really strong after the opening two races of the season, and he could be in the fight for a podium for Alpha Man. They're first in under 40 years. How weird is that? Well, I think if there's one thing we're learning about the 2022 season, it's that podiums are possible for quite a few people on the grid at the moment, which I guess is making it even more exciting. So far, loving 2022. So we've had two races so far this season, but in an effort to learn a little bit more about the history of F1, we are going to take you back in time to a time when A. Verstappen raced for the once great Tyrrell team with our Ed Spencer. Melbourne, Australia, and the start of the 1997 season shows Williams looking as strong as ever. Albert Parks with the second Grand Prix had already been chock full of headlines before even the red lights had gone out. The Mastercard Lola team hadn't got, got inside the 107% rule, and that meant both Ricardo Rosset and Vincenzo Suspiri would have to watch the race from a television set. Damon Hill didn't even get to the start line. What appalling luck! His arrows Yamaha unable even to complete the warm-up lap. Forcing the reigning world champion to watch on as the two Williamses of Jack Villeneuve and Tyrrell Frenson start from the front row of the grid. At the green light, Frenson got a better launch than Villeneuve. As the 1997 Australian Grand Prix and World Championship gets underway, Schumacher's Ferrari being swamped by Herbert's Ferrari engine Sauber. Irvine mistimed his braking point and took Villeneuve and Johnny Herbert out at Turn 1, with the Irishman also being eliminated on the opening lap of racing. Johnny was on the outside and I was on the inside and suddenly into braking, uh, Eddie just popped, popped his wheel in there where the track was dirty and he couldn't turn. So uh, he both took uh, Johnny and myself out. With Villeneuve gone, it was Frenton who now led from Coulthard and Schumacher. With Hacken and fourth ahead of the two Benettons. Jordan's race was over by lap 14. Now Schumacher retired on lap 1, whilst Giancarlo Fisichella mistimed an overtaking attempt on Rubens Barrichello and slid out of the race. At the first round of stops, Frenton was the first one to blink, with Schumacher and Coulthard now having to work together to slice through the traffic. Ron Dennis watchful as Coulthard takes over at the front from Schumacher's Ferrari. Hakkinen leading the Benetton twins of Alesi and Berger. With Schumacher coming in next, Coulthard had to push, and he rejoined ahead of the Ferrari, whilst Frenton moved into lead, with John Alesi now moving into second. But in a bizarre twist, Alesi didn't see his pit ball to call him in for tyres. And as a result of this, he ran out of fuel, forcing him to pull over and into retirement. Jonathan Harris, who worked for Benetton at the time, was on pit balls. He explained why Alesi missed the pit lane. So, Ed, 97. So, I was a hydraulic technician, and what they did, basically, the hydraulic guys didn't have a full role in the pit stop because they tended to keep us to one side just in case there was a hydraulic problem and then we could actually view it on the car. So what we did, we did uh, pit board and that's why I ended up on the pit board plus the previous guy that I was replacing had done pit board. So that's the reason, that's what I was doing there whilst the race was on. And I'd been taught how to do it from doing previous races. So with John Alazy... You probably remember that he ran out of fuel. And the basic thing was, obviously, you'd hang out the pit board. 
every time the driver came round, you had to distinguish what the difference was between the cars, uh, so you didn't show it to the wrong driver. And there was quite a lot to be written on the pit board. So it's difficult to remember everything, but there was obviously the lap he was on, the distance to the car in front, distance to the car behind, and his lap time. I understand. That's what I had to put. So it was quite a lot to put on there. You had to keep in touch with it. And obviously, if he was due to come in, you had to show him the arrow. So he came in on the following lap. So what basically happened was I was told to show him the arrow and he was radioed at the same time. I put the arrow out as he comes round and he doesn't come in. And then he goes round again and still hanging the arrow out. I can't remember how many laps he did. But in the end, the arrow was hung out on the bo- on a bare board, nothing else, just the arrow. And I was being dangled off the pit wall by Nick Worth. He was hanging onto my overalls, and I was just hanging right over into the track, shaking this board up and down so he would see it. And obviously, as you know, he ran out of fuel. As he ran out of fuel, he got the biggest bollocking from Flav over the radio. There was some sort of harsh words, I understand. Obviously, there was the red mist and he wasn't looking at the pit board. It turns out that he never really looked at the pit board. And for the following race, we went in a little room with him and he said, right, obviously, we don't want this happening again. What do you want on your pit board? consider you haven't been looking at it anyway. And he said his position and I think the distance to the car in front, I think that's what it was. And obviously the arrow. And and then after his last pit stop, he would then have a countdown of how many laps to go. Uh, I don't know whether he ever looked at it because they always radioed him in any way. And the only race they were going to secretly just show him an arrow, I was told before the race, right, we're not going to radio him so no one else will hear. We're just going to show him the arrow. And believe it or not, they radioed him in and then told me to show him the arrow. So that's what happened there. So there was nothing secret about that. Well, lazy gone. Frenson was back in the lead ahead of Coulthard and Schumacher. Frenson goes past with nearly 19 seconds over Coulthard. The fastest lap of the race so far toward his second stop. Well, his second stop was a slow one after a stuck right rear tyre dropped him to third. However, he quickly moved back up to second with eight laps to go. As Schumacher was forced to make a splash and dash, it seemed that Ferrari had miscounted that day. Frenton was now in hot pursuit and was catching Coulthard all the time with three laps to go. But just as it seemed that second place was at least at short, his brakes failed, causing him to spin violently into the turn one gravel trap and ending Williams's day with a whimper. Martin Brundle and Murray Walker at the time believed it was more of a driving error than a brake failure. With Frenson gone, Coulthard wants the victory to end McLaren's four-year win drought. Coulthard opens his 97 account with 10 points, ending McLaren's drought and scoring Mercedes' first Grand Prix win for 42 years. With Schumacher second, Amita Hakkinen completing a great day for McLaren. Gerhard Berger finished fourth to salvage something for Benetton, whilst Olivier Panis got fifth for the newly rebranded Prost team. And Nicola Larini, whose last Grand Prix had been the ill-fated and tragic 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, picked up a point for Sauber. Mastercard Lola, however, went bust shortly after this race, 
and would not be seen on the Formula One grid again. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So there we have it, the 1997 Australian Grand Prix a la Ed Spencer. I always think it's fascinating to look back at the older tales of F1 and just how low-tech things used to be when you compare it to these 2021, 2022 cars and just how high-tech everything is these days. It's amazing the way that we used to race many decades ago. I would say so, considering the fact we had refueling, we had... Teams rocking up to the first race after maybe one or two days worth of testing. And, you know, it was the 90s F1. They had a charm about it. But now you look and you think, mm, slightly unprofessional. Also, fun fact, for Melbourne will be the first time since 1997 that a Schumacher, a Magnussen and a Verstappen have competed at the Australian Grand Prix. Michael was set in 97, Jan Magnussen. Father of Kevin was driving for Stuart on Ferrari, of course. He also Verstappen driving for Tyrrell, as you mentioned. And Kevin took that day, although Michael was the only one who picked up points. Not so fun fact, but if you're an anorak, like some, some people might listen, you might be interested in that. I mean, 1997 is a fun memory for me because that was, I think, the last time Williams were like a proper prime team in the sport. They were definitely the best car that season. But just overall, man... Um, Australia has always been a nice place to host F1 races. It's always been sunny for the most part. The atmosphere has always been nice. I know Bahrain's been nice, but it, it just feels like the kind of place where you'd start a Formula One season. So it's really nice to go back there. And 
obviously with the changes to the track i guess it's gonna be it has the potential to be probably one of the best australian grand prix since hmm since who knows when the last good 2010 that was a really good race 2010 i think this might be the best australian grand prix since 2010 well i will say that that piece was probably the first positive thing i've heard about mclaren all day so (laughs) that was at least nice Now, bringing things back to the 21st century, let's talk about news of the week. Now, my personal highlight, my personal favourite, or perhaps most controversial, some might say, news story of this week, is Las Vegas Grand Prix confirmed, question mark? We are getting a Las Vegas Grand Prix in 2023. How does everyone feel about this? Well... I don't mind it. I don't know why everyone's so upset. I I I scrolling on Twitter and I was like, oh, why are we having another race in America? What is this? I was like, bro, if it slaps, who cares? If it's good, who cares? The the people that were complaining about it, it's like y'all are acting like this is the first time we've had three U.S. Grand Prix in the same year. It it most definitely isn't. We went here. We used to go to to the U.S. three times back in the eighties. Ain't nobody was saying this back then because there was no Twitter back then, in it. There was no Twitter back then for anyone to complain about this kind of stuff. But there is now, so now everyone just complains about everything, right? If the race is good, if the track works out, all right, just because the last time we went to Vegas, it was one of the worst races of all time, doesn't mean it will be when we go there next year, all right? Just stop stop being so mad all the time, man. I swear. What if this ends up being great? When is it supposed to be? Thanksgiving weekend? That's going to be right in the championship fight. Going to Vegas and deciding a champion, how cool that would be? You have an idea how cool that would be? You got negative Nancys on Twitter talking about, no, man, I don't, I don't want no another American race. Yeah, we, we tore all of Europe. Ain't nobody care about that. But three races in America is too much for you. It's technically four if you count Mexico. Five if you count Canada. That's only five out of 20. That's barely quarter of the season. So y'all can just Cut it out with that, man. Cut it out with that. This might be great. I can't wait for it next year. Intern has told you his thoughts. Ed Spencer, what do you think about a Las Vegas Grand Prix? Yeah, yeah it's, it was expected. I knew it was coming. And I, I mean, hopefully I'm proved wrong. We actually do get a good race. But it's a bit... The layout's a little bit chalky, I would say. It's a bit bland. Um, obviously, they're going to use the strip, which is... Cool, I suppose it's going to be a, a DRS zone, but yeah, next. Well, next, Ed, what is your news of the week? That is the question to ask. Colin Coles, who used to be a, a big cheese at Force India before it became Aston Martin, has accused Lawrence Stroll of throwing money up the wall in a project that he says A won't work and B is to keep his son on the F1 grid. So, strong words from, from Colin Coles, who's had a long time in Formula One, but obviously is very much not a fan of Aston Martin. Well, it's definitely not looking good, so maybe he is spitting for all we know. Yeah, may, he might be just spitting and we just don't know it. It don't look like Aston really are going anywhere. I mean, don't get me wrong, Hulkenberg, whatever, last minute, I didn't expect him to set the world on fire, but Stroll, come on, guy. Come on, buddy. What you doing qualifying 19th in Bahrain? That's unacceptable. They haven't been there, man. It, it may sound harsh, but for all we know, he could be telling the truth. Maybe he is telling a lie. We don't know. But 
the the the, the on track product. If, if I'm supposed to go based off of what I'm seeing on the on track product, that maybe he's spitting. Could very well be spitting. I think for me personally, Lawrence has tried to do, you know, tried to make his own version of you know on the small team. So he's tried to do a Red Bull, but it's looking more like Jaguar at the moment. If I'm being honest, you know, big team, <laughs> big ambitions, but sadly the food is being burnt to buggery in the oven. You know, Lance Stroll does need to up his game a bit more. I mean, being outqualified by a guy who's a belly and testing is slightly concerning, even though he redeemed himself in Jeddah. I think when your lead driver doesn't particularly seem happy with the car, I think that's another concern. And the fact that morale of the team is not good. I think Mike Crack has got a very difficult position, challenge ahead of him, and he's got, he's really got to find something out of, out of his hat tricks because. At present, Aston Martin don't look like they're going anywhere, and, and Colin Cause may have a point, but I think we need to see to season four before we can really start judging whether Aston Martin have thrown too much money at nothing. In turn, to you, what's the biggest news story of the week? Well, this wasn't this isn't really news anymore, but obviously we weren't we didn't have a podcast for Bahrain, unfortunately. So let's talk about it now. Colton Herta to McLaren. Colton Herta has signed with McLaren in a kind of young driver-ish role. And this, mm, this is it, you know. This is this is only the beginning, man. This is only the beginning, man. This is the Andretti master plan. You understand me? This is the Andretti master plan, right? Because they are getting Herta used to Formula One. They're going to get him some FP1 sessions this year. Probably only one. Maybe he even drives in Abu Dhabi later this season because the IndyCar season would definitely be done by then. But overall, an Indy... Well, not an IndyCar champion, but he's definitely one of the best drivers in IndyCar. And I, I just love to see this bringing people from IndyCar over into F1 to have a go. We saw it with Pato Award last year. He got the McLaren test because he won a race for them in IndyCar last year. And Zach Brown said, yo, you win me a race, I'll give you the test. And he did. And obviously, you could see the differences between him in an F1 car and him in an IndyCar. He said it was killing his neck. He couldn't believe the G-forces. And now we're getting called on Herta in a McLaren. Probably going to do an FP1 session later this season because they don't have no young drivers in F2. So he may very well... Do FP1 when we get to Miami. Maybe if we get to Kota, probably an American race. I do think it's going to be very good for the sport. I think it's going to be very good for the sport. And I hope it continues the trend of giving IndyCar drivers a chance because Williams did it with Villeneuve and he won them a championship. Then they did it again with Montoya and he won them a couple races and could have won them the 2003 title. So we've seen in the past where IndyCar drivers have made the transition to F1 and made it work. Obviously, it's different now because IndyCar is way different than it was back then, and so is Formula One. But I just think it's really cool that they've gotten a guy like Herta in their program. And I love the way they announced it too. Like, just mere, the same day, Alpine are like, by the way, and I know Ricardo's sick, but just, just in case, they really tried to, to win PR team of the day with that. And McLaren's like, now we got Herta, but we actually don't need that dude. Poor Piastri, one day, buddy, one day. Now, welcome to the Gossip Grid. 
in which I impart upon you, dear listeners, the latest gossip that we've been hearing around the paddock over the last couple of weeks, and we share our thoughts. So the first little tidbit of gossip that I'm going to open up for discussion is... The idea of a team principal parade rumoured for the Miami Grand Prix, which we've been seeing floating around Twitter the last couple of days. Thoughts on putting the team principals on a float and sending them around the track. In turn, I would love to know what you think of this. Do it. This is why you have Drive to Survive, isn't it? Isn't this, isn't this why Drive to Survive exists? So we know more about these people. Now that we know them, show us them live so that I can like cheer for them or even boo them i know horner's gonna get booed. <laughs> that's gonna be something i know steiner's gonna get cheered i can't wait to see that mm. i can't wait to see them when when gunther steiner gets on that parade floor bro he's gonna be the talk of the town i don't mind it man because don't it, i'm pretty sure the drivers do a parade around the track they get into that big old bus and they drive around their way by the fence why can't the team principals do it because with drive to survive you've affected you've effectively made them just as big stars just as big a star as the drivers so to have a team principal parade justifies you doing that so do it i, I i'm here for it i think it'd be great what does ed think though hmm. um i think there is reason as before drugs by you as you said because drugs five has actually enhanced these people's profiles and it has to be an anorak to know because I don't think this would have happened with the likes of Flavio Vittori, Eddie Jordan, Ron Dennis walking around on a truck waving to people. I don't think it would have washed 20 years ago, but we live in different times. So, yeah, let's see what it's like. It's probably going to be quite bizarre seeing Tony Wolf and Christian Horner giving it large with Gunther Steiner egging the crowd on, but yeah, we'll see what happens. It's odd. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime, but. Now, in turn, you did raise the the DTS. You raised Drive to Survive, and that's actually what my next little bit of gossip is about. So, supposedly, F1 are planning to have some talks with Netflix, RE, the fake Drive to Survive drama, and perhaps the idea of cutting down on it slightly. Now, personally, I think there's enough real drama going off on the grid for them to focus on without having to manufacture rivalries between drivers that didn't exist. So personally, for me, I welcome it. I think there's enough real things to focus on. But Ed, what do you think? I personally, I do agree with you. I think the fake rivalry stuff, it was, you could do it in the first season when you were playing around with it. Now people are getting fed up with it. And Rotten Tomatoes have showed their revulsion at season four because it's only got about 17%. And I think... Drive to Survive needs a lot of work. I mean, when you've got Max Verstappen saying the producers make Lando Norris look like a dick and all this, that and the other, and when you've got drivers saying they don't really want to be part of it and they don't really want to talk on it, it's a bad sign because you're losing trust. And when you look at, let's say, MoGP's new documentary on Amazon Prime, it's much better, it's better, way better done because you actually get to see these people, who they are, and not create this fake rivalry. You know, if you don't, the last thing that Netflix need are drivers pulling out left, right, and centre. I mean, last season felt very half baked without the staffing in it and with the fact that some teams didn't even get a sniff. So things do need to be changed because if not, if Netflix's productions of Drive Spy keep getting worse, they may lose, there may be a change of producers perhaps. But I'm interested to see what intern thinks. 
Well, first things first, I haven't watched Drive to Survive Season 4. Not because I'm anti-DTS, but because I just don't have Netflix. But, <laughs> um, it's... I've seen the complaints, man. Like, obviously, if you're on Twitter a lot, you know there's the term DTS fan, DTS fan, all these new fans that came in because of it. But at the same time, I feel like Drive to Survive itself isn't really the issue. I just feel like maybe it's just the way it's presented. If there's one thing I've always not liked about Drive to Survive, it's the fact that it's never been presented in chronological order. It kind of just takes 10 random moments from the season. Like, yeah. There's 10 random things that happened during the, the, the Formula 1 season. And I don't like that. I really don't. And even Verstappen himself said in an interview, they should just make a season review. And I'm like, yeah, they should just make a season review. Because I'm pretty sure BBC used to make them. And they were only an hour long and they went hard. They were they went stupid. They were so good. I remember the 2014 one. I remember the 2015 one. They were very good and they were only an hour long. If you if, if you do the same thing with as much access to drivers as Netflix has, then you could make a masterpiece. But I don't know about the fake drama. I know someone told me there was an episode about like Sonoda and Ocon. I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't think those two have ever even spoken to each other. I don't know how. Do, I don't know how you can make a, an episode out of those two. I don't even know if they know each other's names. I've never seen them interact before. But whatever Netflix, Sonoda and Okan, if that's what you're gonna do. So I don't even know how I don't know how this season went. I mean Magnuson wasn't in there, so I don't really have a reason to be watching anyways. But overall it's just if they want this thing to succeed, then you can't just solely cater to the new audience because there are already people that watch that watch F1 that are going to want to to see more. It's not just it's not gonna be new to them, it's just gonna be extra. They want that extra, so fix up Netflix, come on. Fix up. You heard intern Netflix. Pay heed. Now it's about that time in the podcast where I'm going to ask you, gents, who is your plonker of the week from Jeddah? And I'm gonna start with mine, ladies first. My plonker of the week is Nicholas Latifi, because quite frankly, he seemed to spend more time in the wall than driving. And this year, I'm actually starting to hear people question whether he has a place in F1 going forward, which is a very different tune to what we were hearing last year. I think we were really rooting for him last year and seeing him put in some good drives. But 2022 is not looking like a good one for Nicholas Gotifi, as we used to call him. So plonker of the week he gets my vote in turn who's your plonker of the week well i mean it's also him he binned it in quality he binned it in the race i mean he barely drove so i'm i don't want to say the same one as you though so i guess maybe i'm gonna say mick schumacher but not because he crashed right don't cancel me now all right i I, i'm sure he's he is fine he said he was but the crash on top of magnuson just Again, looking quicker than him despite Mick getting way more practice time than him. That wasn't really the best look. Two weeks in a row, this dude bodied you, Mick. Fight back. Benato's watching, big man. You can't, you can't just be letting K-Mag kill you. I, I think he will because he's K-Mag. But I don't mean you should let him. I don't mean you should let him. So yeah, Mick, him crashing out of qualifying isn't a good look. I'm glad he's okay. But he, he does need to bounce back because that he's 2-0. He's, he's down 2-0 now. And... This guy does get Ferrari shouts, so prove it. Prove it, guy. 
prove it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. He's going to have to put in some decent drives if he wants to prove himself in 2022. Ed Spencer, who is your plonker of the week? I have to be very careful on this because of my professional reputation, but I'm going to say entitled fans who believe that a driver shouldn't fight his teammate. There was a recent uh, influx of negative comments on Esteban Ocon's uh, Instagram posts because he had the audacity to raise his teammate. Now, I'm sorry, as a certain race director once said, we went car racing. It's not follow my tip, mate, for 50-odd laps. Now, come on, everyone. Let, let, let's, let's use our brain cells for once. I know some people have less and less than others, but we shouldn't be having a go at other, dri- other drivers for the pain paid for what they do, which is race. It's called a motor race, not a motor possession. So, for me, entitled fans... Uh, win my plonker of the week. That's a very good shout, Ed. Sadly, if we're going to put it to a vote, it does look like Nicholas Gotifi has won plonker of the week because, in turn, I know you mentioned Mick Schumacher, but you did say Nicholas first. So, our winner. I could ignore it. Absolutely not. So, this week's winner of the Race Directors Podcast Plonker of the Week. I'm afraid goes to Nicholas Latifi. Sorry, my friend, but you're going to need to stay out of the wall if you're going to want to remove that title. Fix up. Fix up. You heard the man. And with that, we are coming to the end of this inaugural Race Directors podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're still here, we appreciate it. If you want to get involved with the show, please do follow us on Twitter at race underscore directors or like us on Facebook at the Race Directors podcast, where we're going to be posting updates, thoughts, the odd meme here and there throughout the season and of course beyond. Please do subscribe to us on whichever platform you choose to listen to the podcast on. We hugely appreciate your support and all being well. We will see you in a couple of weeks after we've done the Australian Grand Prix. Say goodnight, gentlemen. Good night, gentlemen. Woo! We did it. We did a podcast. Yes, we did. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.